Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the writer Peter Warmby. Peter was diagnosed as autistic when he was 34, after which aspects of his life started to make more sense to him, including his struggles with his mental health. There are a huge number of people living with autism in the UK and thousands more who are believed to be undiagnosed. While being neurodivergent isn't an illness, it can present numerous challenges that lead to mental health problems. Quite a few listeners have got in touch with me over the past few months to tell me about Peter's book, Untypical, which spells out vividly all of these issues and more. As Peter puts it, just like computers have a variety of different operating systems, humans have many different types of brain, something it's important for us all to understand. So I was delighted that Peter spared the time to come on The Reset and explain a bit more about all of this. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Peter Warmby, welcome to The Reset. Hello, thank you for uh, for having me. Um, it's really nice to have an opportunity to talk. Yeah, it's great to be speaking to you. I've heard a lot about your book and actually some listeners to the show have reached out to me more than one occasion and said that, you know, it had an impact on them and that they'd love to hear you on this podcast. So I'm really delighted that you've agreed to come on and, and tell us all about it. Uh, Peter, what, what's your personal journey towards this? You know, I know this is your second book, Untypical, which came out this year. It's doing really, really well. Um, you were a teacher before you became a kind of full-time writer and, and speaker. Uh, what, what's the story behind that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, good good question. It's um, it's all very tightly wound up with the diagnosis that I had when I was 34, so about six years ago now. Um, I was diagnosed as a result of really struggling to cope with becoming a parent because it was it, it it threw everything into such disarray that I all of my kind of systems that I'd subconsciously put into place just kind of fell apart um so I was really struggling with my mental health uh depression massive anxiety you know on medication all the usual stuff and but I wanted to know if there was something more going on there 
um i had my inkling inkling that there was um so so i looked into it and got the uh gp to agree with me and got the diagnosis and uh, and that that kicked it all off really i was still a teacher at that point um i'd been a teacher at that point for nearly 10 years and uh, i had no real intention of not becoming you know not being a teacher i just you know i, I tend to just go with the easiest possible flow mm. and at that point just carrying on as i was would have been you know straightforward um but i started writing about my experience i started uh short form on twitter and longer blog posts that kind of thing and it got it got some traction and people people were interested and seemed to enjoy the way i wrote about it mm. um and you know through one way or another that that led to publishers coming to me and saying would you like to write a book for us uh you know, I, I didn't i didn't seek it out at all it, i feel like a real um, i mean it's incredibly lucky um and and i feel you know uh, I've, I've got to be grateful for that because i i'm not very proactive as a person you know i tend to just take what comes yeah. um and and so you know i i had um i had jessica kingsley approached me about the first book that was i mean that was way back here before the pandemic i think that we first started talking about that and then i got an agent and then um harper collins had been in touch wanting me to you know to, to think about writing for them and, and and we organized that and um it all it all came about thanks to social media it all really came about thanks to twitter which is a shame given what's happened since yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I, don't, I, I don't really use it anymore but um but but that definitely got me on, on my way and um and then the pandemic happened and we didn't go into school for a while because of that you know because of lockdown um but my anxiety around covid was quite high mm. um and i struggled to go back in and my mental health was still shot uh so i had to take that decision to to try and pour all of my effort into writing and doing workplace talks and all of that stuff that that that, that we do, um, and and lose the you know the steady salary and pension etc. of of being mm. a teacher. So that was that was a gamble. That was a real gamble. Um, but my mental health meant that I didn't really have all that much choice. Mm. Um, weirdly, it felt like I did at the time. But looking back, I don't think I really did. You know, I, I, I think I think uh, it was a situation where I, I had to do what I did. Uh, I'm just glad that I've survived since. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you've done so and that you seem to be, you know, the, the book is obviously doing really well. You seem to be thriving. But I'd love to go back to, you know, your diagnosis because, <laughs> you know, the, the difficulty you, you faced coping with with being a new parent is something that we we talk about a lot on this podcast with with all my different guests it's something that i i went through as well and there are different reasons for it but when you say that you know you, you had an, an inkling there was something more to it what what were the signs in your mind was this something that, that you'd had sort of even before parenthood that you, you'd had sort of certain question marks about about things in, inside your own personality Yes, I think so. I, I never, I was never able to put a label on it mm. for, for for many many years. But I I knew that on a very fundamental level, I struggled with things that I shouldn't struggle with. You know, shouldn't in inverted commas. Um, I struggled with things that everyone else seemed to find relatively straightforward. 
Um, I pushed myself very hard to do things that I had an instinctive dread of doing, often to my own detriment. So mm. things like socializing too much, um, going out when I really didn't want to, you know, little little things, but it all added up. And mm. I just always felt like everything was an uphill, uphill battle, whereas it didn't seem like it was that for a lot of the people that I was around. Mm. It, it just felt like I was incredibly rubbish at life right if that makes sense like mm -hmm. i was i was absolutely dreadful at, at coping with everything really from finances to organization to socializing to just a straightforward conversation small mm -hmm. talk in the corridor that kind of thing every single thing apart from a few things where i knew i was quite good like i knew i was a re relatively good teacher i was mm -hmm. confident about that because uh, I knew my stuff and I had a decent rapport with with the students. Um, and I knew that I had certain skills, like I knew that I could write. I knew that I could um, I was good at video games, you know, but mm. but apart from those things, I was I was a failure. You know, I was an mm. abject, hopeless mess. Um, and as I got older, I just started to think more, well, maybe that maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe I'm not maybe it shouldn't be something to hate myself over. Maybe it should be something for me to actually look into in a bit more detail. Mm. Um, and of course, I've been made aware of the uh, the existence of autism through work primarily. because mm. as a teacher, you know you 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 work with a lot of autistic students. So I had that sort of drip fed to me over over time but the trouble is the training that we got on autism wasn't <laughs> wasn't very good to be honest right it was um it, it it was very much wedded to old stereotypes and things like that so so i had a real kind of realization that no it, it can't be it can't be that because i don't know i i've been in like a a, a rock band when mm. i was in my 20s you know I, I was a front man right so you know the fact that i've done something like that or that I was just a teacher didn't add up to what I was being told about autism. You know, it, it didn't, it didn't fit mm. Mm. Um, because we were, we were being informed that autistic children in school could, could, couldn't, couldn't do anything like that. You know, they could, they couldn't get on stage and do stuff. They could, because it was beyond them, you know, the very, very old fashioned, um, very stereotyped um information unfortunately mm. so i had to just you know i discounted that for years and years but i had a friend whose um whose son was autistic and and you know just in conversation i was like god i he he feels so familiar to me you know this this right. kid you know, yeah. the things that he's struggling with you know looking back at my own childhood and 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 just little things like that started to add up and i'll never forget my partner at the time um pointed me in the direction of one of the questionnaires you can do online yeah, it's one of those very rare circumstances where online questionnaires can actually be quite valid. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> happen very often. Yeah. Um, but I, I filled one in. It was the I think it was the AQ test, the Autism Quotient Test, which is one of the ones that they tend to use when they mm. diagnose you. You know, as a kind of preliminary screening kind of thing. Mm. Um, and and I filled it in, and I think an, a, any any score above thirty was meant to raise question marks, and I think I got mm. seventy something. So you know i was like okay <laughs> okay this 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 looks like it could be something um and and it and it, it went from there but but there were certain mo moments you know that were very look based you know if i hadn't had those moments of realization or those conversations with people it might never have happened so
And when you went to your GP, you say that you mm-hmm. can convince them to agree with you. I think that's the phrase you use. Was, was it a matter of you'd done enough sort of research of your own to feel pretty confident? And but you obviously you in order to get the referral, you need them to be on board. So was that straightforward or not? It, it was for me. Um, I had done my homework and I, I turned up with, you know, notes and research that I'd done. And I was very detailed. You know, I, I took the opportunity, which is unusual for me, because normally in a doctor's appointment, I just want to get out as quick as I can. I don't like them very much. Um, but this time I, I really, you know, went into some detail. Um, and and yeah, I got I got referred straight away and I was diagnosed within a year. But I had a lot. I had a lot going for me in that regard because I was I was a man, mm. which helps when it comes to autism diagnosis. Um, you know, I'm white, middle class. You know, all of these things really go a long way because autism's massively underdiagnosed in all the other demographics. <laughs> you know, if you're a woman, if you're black, you, you, you're far less likely to because that stereotype still persists. That right. you know, autistic people are white male you know basically it's 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 why it's it's really insidious so i i you know i I got a diagnosis relatively easily but you talk to i mean i know a fair few autistic women for example and it was a nightmare nightmare to get that diagnosis um people just just refuse to go down that avenue you know and they get misdiagnosed and uh, and told that they're just you know there's nothing wrong you know there's nothing going on there um it's yeah it's a bit of a um a bit of a a tricky topic you know and and that's why of course um it was seen as being a male condition for so long because nobody was diagnosing the women (laughs) right so there there was so there was data that seemed to suggest it was more prevalent amongst men yes yes women were reporting it less or doctors were struggling to make the connection between the symptoms and the condition the diagnostic criteria was so heavily weighted towards masculine things right and masculine right. responses um you know it was interestingly a very gendered set of diagnostic criteria mm. um and it didn't take into account what we call autistic masking uh which is where autistic people kind of hide their autisticness you know yeah. in order to survive without being bullied to death you know yeah. um and and as we are aware now it seems that autistic women seem to be more um proficient at an earlier age with masking you know and and therefore that data wasn't there but it's little things like i don't know like um like uh, the association of autistic people with trains for example or video games very yeah. very common very right. very common kind of idea that mm. you know autistic people love video games they love trains but of course that's fairly gendered not yeah. totally but it is you can see that there is a gender thing going on there you know yeah um when the reality is that autistic special interests can be blooming anything mm. <laughs> you know absolutely anything um from from goodness knows what to you know i mean uh, from either gender perspective or, or whatever you know it can be very very widespread so so yeah in in, in little ways things were really gendered and um uh, and thus i found it easy but a lot of people do not and I'm I'm grateful for that, you know. What were your impressions of or your sense of what autism was before you started looking into it and before you got your own diagnosis? And and how did that change what when you learned the reality? 
Well, on top of the training that I had as a teacher, which, mm. like I said, was very old fashioned and, and yeah. actually fed into this idea that it was a very male thing. Mm. Um, you know, we, for example, we weren't taught or trained to expect to teach autistic girls at all. Not that I can remember anyway, mm. even in the 2010s, you know, which is just phenomenal. Um, but before that, the only other info about autism that I remember coming across was reading the Mark Haddon book. Um the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Yeah. You know, that detective story with the main character, Christopher, who investigates the death of the dog next door. And he's described as being autistic. Um, and that was my, that, that was my understanding of, of autism. Um, a, a young boy who, um, who was impeccably logical, yeah. fascinated by science and maths, who had, very strong sensory um sensitivities that i mm. didn't share particularly um yeah uh, you know basically what that book provided us with was a very narrow window on a particular type of autistic person mm. you know because mm. when we talk about the autism spectrum a lot of people seem to think that the autism spectrum is something that we're all on mm. it's like a spectrum that every human being is on somewhere but that's mm. a misconception the the autism spectrum is a, is a spectrum that all autistic people are on <laughs> yeah and people who aren't autistic i'm afraid you're not um <laughs> and, and it's described like that because yeah we're so bloody varied you yeah. know in, in how how being autistic affects us and and how our, our being autistic presents to the world and to ourselves um so when you read a book like the curious incident you're seeing a very narrow, you know, you're looking through a very narrow window at one particular type mm. of autistic person. And, uh, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that, you know, mm. I, I thought that was autism pretty much anyway. And, and because I didn't resonate that much with Christopher, you know, you know, how, how could it be? It's interesting actually that since diagnosis, I've realized that I actually resonate with Christopher far more than I realized. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I was talking about this. I went to a school to do some training the other week and um, we were talking about, I have this odd kind of superstition thing going on. A lot of my life is driven by what I described as a fairly rational superstition. So um, if a day goes well, I'll try to replicate it as best as I can. If right. a day goes badly, I'll try to never do those things again. So mm. uh, I don't know if, if a day goes badly and I realize that I brush my teeth at 10 AM rather than 9 AM on that mm. day, then why right, I'm not I'm not waiting till 10 a.m. to brush my teeth again just in yeah. case yeah. That was, you know yeah. <laughs> and I realized that in the book Curious Incident Christopher has this whole thing with the yellow cars mm. if he sees a yellow car that means it's going to be a bad day and when I read that originally I took that the wrong way I took it as a kind of cause and effect thing yeah but actually I can recognize it as a in the past, Christopher has had a really bad day, and he remembers seeing a yellow car that earlier that day, and makes the yeah connection. The association. And I, actually, I can yeah, I can kind of get with that. <laughs> you know, it's something that I really do have going on with myself. Um, so that that's that's been quite interesting. You know, um, it just goes to show how reflecting on things you know things can really change and look very different when you've got the information that you need well th th this is one of the things that i really was interested to ask you about was it's a relatively late in life diagnosis you had so was it like looking back on your whole life through a new pair of sort of spectacles and what were the things that you started to see and interpret differently from your childhood and all the all of the whole of your life up until that point of diagnosis what what were the things that you reflected on 
I guess in everything, really. So. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 astonishing. You know, the 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 the, the process was lengthy for me, anyway. And I, I, is, other, it, other is, other it, is it was it stressful and was it like traumatizing to to sort of have to almost like reassess your life to that degree? At times, it was, but it it, it veered more towards the comforting in the right. end for me. Mm. Um, as I reevaluated everything, because as I mentioned earlier, there was a lot of self hatred going on, mm. an awful lot. You know, mm. I think anyone who feels that they're not coping in the world when everyone else seems to be relatively fine, from our perception anyway, mm. can, can empathize with that. You know, I think you, it's very easy to, to, to blame yourself and to view yourself as being flawed and a bit rubbish, a bit mm. crap as a person. Um, so finding out that there was at least cause for a lot of it cause that other people would empathize with and would understand not everybody of course that's half the problem but at least there were other autistic people out there who would go oh yeah 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 i had that too that's nice you know that that feels like um belonging and and uh you know you're not alone in the in this this unhappiness um but i i likened it at the time, I remember talking to my uh, therapist at the time. Um, so I've managed to get a therapist through the NHS because of the, de the depression. Um, and I, I remember de describing it as, um, as as like I was defragging my brain, mm. you know, going back to an old computer term. that I think computers still do it, but they do it automatically now. Back in right. my day, you <laughs> had to direct a computer to do it. Right, yeah, <laughs> you know, and and you know what it does is it, it takes all the data that's kind of scattered about and consolidates it like a game of Tetris, right? Kind of swaps it all into place to take up less space and to become more efficient. And I felt like I was doing that with my brain. I was taking all these things and with this new piece of information, I was able to make it all make more sense mm. and become more efficient. And I mean, it was things like um, my disorganization, I which has been epically almost comical throughout my life yeah. i now had some understanding of why that was uh social relationships you know of all kinds friendships romantic relationships um now things made a little more sense why i didn't pick up on signals perhaps or why i missed massive things going on just you know pass me by um why i might have you know started arguments or, or or things like that through misunderstanding something all of that started to make more sense um and my more specifically my 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 struggles and my stresses in in, in work and as a, as a parent suddenly mm -hmm. made a lot more sense when i discovered that sensory sensitivity was a thing and that it seems that my sensory sensitivity is highly based on sound um bad smells and uh texture and touch and feel um, all of a sudden becoming a parent and how that affected me made more sense. You know, I, I've suddenly got this being in the house that screams and cries a lot, mm. which is really bad for somebody who's very sensitive to sound, you know, really very, very sad. I mean, this morning I was having coffee and there was a car opposite me with that engine idling and I had to get up and walk away. I couldn't mm. sit in the vicinity of that rumbly noise at all so having a baby in the house crying a lot you know not sleeping <laughs> was yeah. just you know and the bad smells of all those nappies and the bad smells well. I, I was i was the nappy changer it's and the perfect storm yeah yeah it really is and you know i look back now and it's like no wonder i struggled whereas before 
Why am I? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Struggling. There's a big difference between the two feelings. Um, so there's so, a lot yeah. of self forgiveness. There's a lot of self forgiveness, yeah. which yeah, I is, think... must be really liberating in mm-hmm. lots of ways. Um, it is. And, it, and also, it can work proactively now as well mm. i can forgive myself if i realize i can't do something you know yeah. because I've, I've hit a wall so if i have to cancel something or i have to <laughs> i don't know go to bed at eight o'clock or, yeah. or whatever it might be because you know I've, I've worn myself out i can i can give myself a break for that now rather than what's wrong with me you know, for goodness sake why why am i so hopeless at all of this which which is obviously tremendously liberating and engenders a far more positive relationship with myself, I suppose. Um, so what were the first steps once you received the official um, diagnosis? Um, what 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 do the NHS do? What kind of process do you go into? <laughs> nothing. Right. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. They gave me some pamphlets that were badly photocopied right. um often directing you to resources that no longer existed oh my you know God. There'd, there'd be websites and it'd be like for error 404 or whatever mm-hmm. um they, they they don't signpost you to you know further therapy or give you i don't know a couple of months of free counseling mm-hmm. or anything like that certainly not when i did it in 2017 mm-hmm. and i doubt very much things have improved um it was very much a hey you're autistic. Congratulations. Off you pop and see if you can cope with that massive life changing piece of information. <laughs> so, I mean, I laughed out of discomfort yeah, more than yeah, anything. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely scandalous yeah. that that's what happens. I mean, I was lucky. I, I went online and I started to seek things out and I, I was on Twitter. At that point, I was just a, a lurker on Twitter, really. Mm. But I started following autistic accounts and started watching uh, videos on YouTube made by autistic creators and and started to find a community and started to make sense of it and then started to write my own stuff as well as I kind of mm. you know, got got to grips with everything. Um, but you know, not not everyone's gonna gonna have the resources or the or the space in their head to do that kind of thing, you know. Mm. And the fact that we're just kind of waved goodbye and. You know, left to our own devices is absolutely um, terrible, in my opinion. But I, I made the best of it as best as I could. Um, I, I was possibly a little bit too over eager to share this new piece of information with my workplace. Looking back, um, it's a very interesting topic: disclosure. Mm. Who, who do you tell? Who, who do you? 
informed about this because there's such a layer of taboo well taboo and prejudice and all kinds of things really when when you when you tell somebody that you're autistic or that you're adhd or or whatever neurodivergence it might be uh some people will react very positively and be very kind and pleasant and you know mm. ask what they can do and can they is there anything they could adapt to make your life a happier one and that's lovely but that's not necessarily the norm um a lot of people think they're trying to be nice but a lot of people disbelieve you a lot of right. people say things like no hmm. the best one is um don't be so hard on yourself as if you know you're you're just kind of I don't know, making excuses Make or something it, yeah yeah or that you're saying it almost as a gag like yeah like I'm a self-deprecating joke yeah. or something oh i'm not I'm autistic you know so <laughs> so that's all so that that so that's like awareness for wider societies that's a big problem and uh, i guess that leads me on as well to like obviously autism is not a mental health it's not a mental illness but you know it does seem to be linked you know you, you have a propensity towards mental health challenges if you are autistic is it partly linked to the fact that you're in a society that doesn't understand your condition is that where absolutely. it's coming from right yeah absolutely i mean all autistic people will disagree to a certain extent on this there are some some out there who would say that it's a hundred percent society you know right. that, that if society was better then we wouldn't have any issues at all mm. um others will say well you know i could live on an island with nobody and still have some problems i don't really know where i fall with this i i think society has an awful lot to answer for i think that the way my brain works means that anxiety at the very least is probably more likely to happen than not even if i lived in a perfect society i've got a, i've got a feeling that anxiety would still be a presumably a just the, the, living with that like hypersensitivity you know, yeah, yeah. is gonna be in any situation even if you're completely alone is gonna be quite you know anxious to live with i mean you know exactly yeah exactly i mean if society even if society did literally everything it could to be more inclusive um then you know there would still be times where my anxiety would rock it because of just sensory issues if, if yeah. nothing else mm. um so so yeah I, it, it's it's a tricky one but but i mean you know my second book was all about how the world isn't built for autistic people or certainly isn't built with us in mind at all yeah. <laughs> and and how that has a massive you know gigantic effect on the autistic population um these days in order to shock audiences whenever i give a talk or a speech or whatever it is that i'm doing i do tend to lead with the statistics to do with life expectancy and suicidality and depression rates and those kind of things mm. because you know ultimately the reason that autistic people are you know way more likely to attempt suicide than non-autistic people um is is because we're living in a world which is seemingly often dead stacked against us mm. <laughs> where, where, where and, and not only that but there's very little understanding of how we're struggling with that and even if we do try and bring it up and raise the issues we tend to be ignored i mean yeah. you think about an autistic child complaining that they're too hot now yeah. imagine that the day is only about 20 degrees and the kid is complaining that they're too hot they're only wearing a t-shirt i'm too hot daddy i'm too hot you know the neurotypical people around this kid are gonna be like it's not hot it's not hot at all this yeah what on earth you're just being silly and yeah. that's what they get told you know stop being silly stop making a fuss all autistic people i reckon personally can look back at their lives and see all those times they were just 
flat out dismissed. Yeah. Disbelieved. Told that they're just, you know, being, I don't know, attention seeking. Difficult. Or... Yeah, difficult, yeah. really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. When, yeah, it is. Uh, well, when I can, I can vouch personally that when you have that temperature discomfort, which is going to be different to the temperatures that another person might feel, it is all encompassing. You know, I, I have to regulate my temperature so carefully because yeah. if things creep above 20, 21 degrees for me, then I, I literally start to stop working. Mm. I, I like just things start to shut down, not physically, but mentally, like my, my capacity just decreases drastically. Mm. So, so yeah, but, but we just get told to suck it up. Don't be silly. Don't be daft. And you soon learn to keep your mouth shut. Is the at least then being diagnosed and knowing, being aware that you have this is, you know, in most ways is better for your mental health. But what's worrying is, is that I think I've I've read a stat or probably in something you've written is that so many people remain undiagnosed. I mean, you did into your mid thirties and that, that seems to be, I mean, there may be people who, you know, have got severe mental health issues. I'm sure there are in society. And the, the problem really is undiagnosed autism. Yeah, absolutely. And and who knows how many. Yeah. It's so difficult to say. The, 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 the accepted number or the accepted rate of autism keeps climbing. And, of course, people panic about that. And they say things like, oh, there's a pandemic of autism. And, you know, wow, it's spreading. It's spreading. And it's like, no, 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 no. Mm. It's always been there. We're just getting much better at identifying it. And actually, there have always been way, way more autistic people out there than you'd, you, you'd ever realised. You know, mm. everyone probably knows at least one autistic person, whether they know it themselves or not. Um, we're a big minority, probably a lot bigger than anyone thought. I think the most recent figures are looking somewhere one in 30, but it might yeah. be even higher than that. And if you take neurodivergence more generally, so ADHD, dyspraxia, dyslexia, dyscalculia, Tourette's, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the rate becomes something like one in 10, maybe even more. Yeah. Um, you know, it's time the world woke up a little bit to the fact that, um, you know, one size fits all when it comes to things to do with the most important things of all, like percepting reality and and communication and and the way that we organize ourselves does not work mm. because <laughs> I, I did a, I did a, a post on Instagram a while about that, that did quite well. It basically said something like. How, why are we so surprised that something as deeply, obviously complicated as the brain has so much variation? Yeah. Like, surely it was arrogant to think that brains were pretty much kind of uniform. Standard issue, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that anything diverting or, or diverging from that is somehow bad. It's it's bewildering to think that way. You know, the brain is so complicated, we can't even understand it. You know, mm. So thinking that it could possibly be anything approaching uniform was just folly. Um, but And we're still counting the cost of that. And we, we, we need to shift towards a realisation that brains are incredibly different and the way people perceive reality is incredibly different. Um, and assuming that people view the world in the same way that you do, not you personally, but you know, you generally is, is deeply arrogant and 
prone to terrible catastrophic failure mm-hmm. uh but you know that's a, that's a big thing for society to accept and acknowledge you know society doesn't like to be told that things are more complicated than we think <laughs> as we know <laughs> yeah 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 well, well it's a good reason to not be on twitter as you say <laughs> uh, nuance is not something that's widely popular no. um so a lot of the things you're talking about um you know just those feelings where you feel bad about yourself you feel as if you know you've been told or dismissed many times that you're just being difficult um which is i guess what people would now call to put in the modern idiom gaslighting really to a large oh, yes. extent it's like you know you you feel that there's a problem and everyone around you says there isn't even people who are apparently compassionate towards you like your parents who love you but they'll still say oh no come on like you're overdoing it a bit or whatever um the issues you have with parenting which as i said at the beginning very common amongst you know a lot of the men uh, who i interview on this podcast you know, a lot of people will recognise some of the things you said, if not all, in themselves. Yeah. Um, so how do we know whether this is something? Because obviously that not if you have one of these these traits or one of these um, symptoms, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are on the autism spectrum, yeah. does it? But what what's your advice to people who might be sitting here listening to your story and thinking, you know what, maybe I need to look into this a bit. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i've had a lot of people over the course of the last five years or so mm. uh come to me and tell me that they've been diagnosed as a direct result of something that i've written which mm. i still can't quite sort of put in. I, I don't know how you know it, it, it that's a big thing to be told yeah it really is because you know, it's such a life-changing experience you know i feel that there's an enormous responsibility there <laughs> mm. but but you know if if i'm if i'm helping people with, with that then that's great i mean if you are sitting there listening to this or anything else to do with autism thinking my god this sounds very familiar basically people react to that in one of two ways they either think he's just talking about humanity and how humans work so it's just all nonsense you know mm. he's, he's just looking for special treatment or my God, I might be autistic. I'd better look into this. Mm. So I want to address both, <laughs> if I may. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first response is very, very common. You know, people yeah. hear, well, I have sensory sensitivity. You mm. know, I don't like it when it's too hot. I don't like it when it's too noisy. So you're just, you know, all you're describing is normal human experience. Mm. The first point is that nearly everything that autistic people experience is normal human experience at a fundamental level there isn't very much to do with being autistic that is totally alien Mm. or totally different to you know to your standard kind of whatever you would describe as normal human experience Mm. um it's just switched up higher you know so yes obviously the joke i always make is that no one likes wet socks you know no one likes that that is a sensory sensation that people generally hate Mm -hmm. loads of people hate coriander i get that you know (laughs) um there's a reason we have air conditioning because human beings do have a temperature intolerance, but for autistic people, it's more than that. Yeah. Our our ability, our ability to tolerate it might be less. Mm. The things that we do intolerate will be greater. Mm. Um, The stress we feel as a result of these sensations will be probably higher. And we're almost certainly going to have a far greater list of things that we can't cope with. So it's, yes, it's a human experience, but it's, 
mushroomed you know in you know that there's a there's more to it and when we mm. experience it more frequently the same thing with um with autistic meltdowns with what we call stimming you know people always look at autistic stimming which is when we do that we, we do kind of repetitive movements to calm ourselves down yeah um, people often look at that and think oh that's weird you know i would never do anything like that they say as they pace backwards and forwards whilst making a difficult phone call yeah. or whilst playing with their hair because they're stressed. Everybody right. stims. It's just autistic stims might be a bit more obvious, a yeah. bit more unique, you know? Um, so, so yeah, you may well be listening to this and thinking, well, this just describes normal humanity, but it does to an extent, but you just have to acknowledge that it's greater. There's more of it. And the stress we feel as a result is far, far higher. You know, because it's very difficult to live in a world where your senses really are very sensitive to the things around you, far more than a non-autistic person might realise. But the second point is you might yeah. be hearing this thinking, you know, wow, this sounds familiar. Maybe I'm autistic. In which case, do you do some homework. You know, I wouldn't recommend going straight to the GP, um, you know, without kind of doing a bit of preliminary research. But but get out there, read some books, watch some videos, listen to some podcasts, follow some autistic people on the various social medias. You know, immerse yourself in that world a bit and see how much of it rings true and how much of it you're thinking, my God, you know, this because often I get told you're like, <laughs> I'll write something and somebody will say, how do you how have you got into my head? How are you telling me exactly how I felt all my life? And, yeah. and and that seems to be the threshold. It's when people think, oh, my God, everything here fits. That's when you might want to start thinking, you know, diagnosis, start to start to progress down that avenue. Um, because the undiagnosed are out there in huge numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and and just lastly, it's a, it's actually a big one to leave till last. I know you won't be able to cover everything you'd like to see change, but for the rest of us in society, you know, who are um, who, who who lack awareness, as you've explained, that you know society does. What what are the little things we could start adjusting about our day to day or our thought process to make it, you know, a sort of a kinder and an easier world for people who are on the spectrum to live in? I think the biggest one, and it, I think I genuinely believe it would be quite easy to do if people knew about it. The biggest one is to believe. Yeah. To, to, to Especially if, if you know that the person is autistic. But even if you don't, to believe other people's experiences, even if they don't correlate with your own. Mm. I think that's the biggest one. Again, it's it's about that arrogance of thinking that everyone's perception is is the same. Yeah. So if somebody does come up to you at work or at school or in your family and say, "Look, you know, I don't know what it could be like. Please, could you, please, could you be less ambiguous when you speak to me, or please, could you put into writing when you want me to do something? I'd really benefit from that. That'd be really helpful. Just be like, okay, <laughs> that seems that sounds reasonable." Yeah, that's fine. Rather than what seems to be the default, which is what? No, <laughs> what, what, why have I got to do that? You know, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, or don't be daft. That's not going to help. Or, or or any of those various ways that disbelief or, or dismissal can be um, expressed. That that for me is the biggest one. And obviously it's very broad, but it's I don't think it's particularly tricky. 
I, I just think I it's think it's a good now. design for life. I think it could translate yeah. to to yeah. politics and society generally. To be honest, well, no. indeed, <laughs> is empathy. I guess is is wrapped yeah. in with that, isn't it? Which we could all do with a bit more of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think empathy thrives from knowledge. I think we're far more likely to empathize with something that we understand, mm. um, which is why getting the information out there is important, too. Mm. You know, because the moment somebody's heard, even if they just kind of heard it on the wind somewhere, <laughs> you know, yeah. that autistic people struggle with sound sensitivity, for example. Yeah. And they see a kid wearing ear defenders. Or a family member says, look, I've got to leave. It's too noisy in here. I just need to go and be in a quiet yeah. space. I believe they are. If they've if they've heard the rumor of this, if they've heard, picked it up from somewhere, they saw a tweet or they've, they've heard it somewhere, they're far more likely to be, oh, okay, yeah, that, that rings a bell. I've come across something like that before. Mm. I can't remember what it is. I can't remember it's to do with autism. But, yeah, I kind of know about that, and therefore, fair enough. Yeah. I, I think that's the that's the key because I, I I do genuinely believe that once we've become slightly aware of something, we're far more likely to accept it. It's for as long as autism remains a mystery, which I think it does to most people. Empathy can't exist in that in that situation. Mm. You know, we don't empathize towards mysterious things. We don't we don't feel empathy towards the unknown or towards things that we can't recognize. Mm. And I think that's the problem. So if we can, you know, raise awareness and understanding enough that there is no mystery any longer, then I think empathy might follow. Peter, what a wonderful chat. I mean, I'm delighted just to have learned from you so much about this issue. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we've communicated to people who might feel as if they're undiagnosed and other people who just need to understand you know what what life is like for someone who's who's on the spectrum um i think that's really valuable you speak about it beautifully and powerfully and i'm really grateful for your for your time and and like i say you know i know from the feedback i've had from people that your book is making such a big difference to people and uh i'm i hope you feel rightfully very proud about that because it's amazing well thank you thank you hopefully yes and hopefully it will continue to do so but thank you for having me it's been it's been great to have a good chat about things Nice one. Okay, Peter Warmby, thanks. That was Peter Warmby. His book, Untypical, is a bestseller and I can recommend it. I've put a link in the show notes. Thanks as always for listening, gang. Please subscribe to The Reset if you don't already via samdelaney.substack.com. Paid subscribers get a bunch of extra content every month, plus invites to live events and much more, all for less than the price of a pint. Anyway, until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.